Good morning, friends. Hope you had a great 4th of July celebration. God bless America. Today's message is just six words. And after last week's message on sin, which was pretty heavy, this week I want to focus on grace. And our reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It contains the whole gospel message in just six words. And if you know what these words are and what these words mean, you're going to know the gospel. And you can share it with anyone you meet. The six words come in three sets of two words. The first from verse 1, the second from verse 4, and the third from verse 8. The words are, you were, but God, through faith. There you go. You were, verse 1, but God, verse 4, through faith, verse 8. Now, the first two words describe our true condition apart from God's grace. The words, you were, describe not only what we used to be, they also describe the current condition of everyone in the world who's not saved. That condition, as we're going to see in a few moments, is truly hopeless. The second two words tell us how grace works. The phrase, but God, announces the world's greatest rescue mission when the Creator took on human flesh and the person of Jesus Christ to perform the work of salvation. The final two words explain how we came into contact with God's grace. It is through faith and only through faith. It is not faith plus works or faith plus anything else. It is faith alone that brings the blessings of grace to us. Now, rightly understood, the whole gospel could be summed up in these six words. You were, but God, through faith. God made it simple so that anyone could understand it and so that all of us could share it. Now, Christianity is supremely a religion of grace, and that is certainly true. We sing about grace, we write poems about grace, we name our churches and our children after grace. But for all of that, grace is not well understood and often not really believed. Now, we use the word a great deal, but rarely think about what it means. It's probably true that most of us think infrequently about God's grace, and for every discussion we have about grace, we have a dozen or so about the church budget or what new church program we should add or more likely whether or not we're going to live long enough to see the Texas Rangers win the World Series or the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. And I say that only as a former Texan. If you ask us, we certainly believe in grace, but outside the worship services, the word is rarely on our lips. Now, between you and me, part of our problem is in the nature of grace itself. I mean, grace is scandalous. It's hard to accept, it's hard to believe, hard to receive. We all have a certain skepticism when someone tells us, I'm not trying to sell you anything, I just want to offer you a free trip. And automatically we say, yeah, what's the catch? See, grace shocks us in, that, in what it offers. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. We would save the not-so-bad, but God starts with prostitutes and then works downward from there. I mean, grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It is given to those who do not deserve it, barely recognize it, and hardly appreciate it. Too many religious people are like the Pharisees who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. That's in Luke 18, 11. And he was not saved either. He went home still in his sins, Jesus said, while the hated tax collector ended up justified by God. You know, friends, as long as I think I'm better than other people, I'm not ready to be saved from my sin because I've not yet considered how great my sin really is. 
Now, Jesus didn't come in this world to save semi-sinners or partial sinners or not-so-bad sinners. And as long as you feel the need to put some sort of qualifying adjective before the word sinner, you really aren't ready to come to Jesus because you won't see your need for the grace of God. Now, let's suppose that we throw the world's worst criminal into the deepest pit on earth. Then let's go all the way up to Chicago, up to Sears Tower, and I think they've renamed that, but that's what I know it as, the Sears Tower in downtown Chicago. And there we're going to look over the railing and we're going to laugh at that person in the pit and congratulate ourselves at being so far above him. Now, consider what God sees. From heaven he looks down at down it is as if earth is a trillion miles away what happens to the distance between us and that criminal well it vanishes from god's point of view that is why romans 3:22 says there's no difference and that is why the next verse says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god we're all in the same boat like it or not and at this point, the words of Jesus in Luke 5.32 come to mind. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's a truly astounding statement if you think about it. On one level, uh, he might be saying that if anyone is truly righteous, for example, has never sinned at all, that person does not need a savior because he or she has never committed any sins that need forgiveness. As a theoretical point, that statement is entirely true, but it is a closed category since there is no one outside of Jesus himself who ever lived a sinless life. That statement might also mean that Jesus came to save those who will admit their true sinfulness before God. If a person says, well, I'm not a sinner, well, the words of Jesus mean nothing. I mean, even Jesus can't save a person who will not admit he needs to be saved. So as long as, as long as you and I cling to our self-righteousness, we will be hopelessly lost and there's nothing that can be done to help us. Now, a number of years ago after a worship service, a, a woman stopped me and wanted to ask a question. And I could tell that she was deeply concerned about something. And she said, you know, last week you said there was not one righteous person in all of the Fox Valley. Now, I did indeed say that, and I also said that there are no righteous people in all of Illinois apart from God's grace. There is no righteousness to be found anywhere. And in all sincerity, she said, but Pastor Barry, if you aren't a righteous man, where can we find one? Well, I pointed to the front of the worship center at the cross suspended in the air and said, on that cross was crucified Jesus, the only righteous man who ever lived. And compared to him, I am the worst of sinners. You see, friends, Jesus was pure, holy, perfect in every way. He never sinned, not even one time. Though he was severely tempted, he never gave in. All the rest of us fall so far short that we can't even begin to be compared to him. He's the only righteous man who ever to walk this earth. And we, were, and we crucified him. His reward for doing God's work was a bloody Roman cross. Now, here's the wonder of grace at work. From the murder of a perfect man came God's plan to rescue the sinful human race. And this is why grace is so scandalous. This is why it's so shocking. To the human heart, no doctrine is more repugnant than the doctrine of grace because it presupposes a common human condition that we don't like to admit to. Now, with that as a background, we want to turn to Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, the most extensive statement in the Bible about grace. It tells us how God saves 
dead people. I'm going to start with grace needed. Those words, you were. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now that's verses Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. So why do we need God's grace? Well, it's because all men and all women are by nature spiritually dead, separated from God. We, we must begin at this basic starting point for biblical theology. When God looks down from heaven, the whole world looks like a cemetery to him. All he sees are dead people. And above every corpse is a three-word epitaph, dead through sin. Now, in what sense are humans dead even though they're still alive? Well, because sin, we're separated from God, unable to know him personally. Can't do anything about our condition. And to make matters worse, we're dead and we don't even know it. See, to be dead is a hopeless condition. You, you can't say to a dead man, get up and expect him to do anything. You can't talk the dead back to life. Only Jesus can do that. See, when God looks down from heaven, he sees our world like a vast graveyard filled with the living dead. Unbelievers appear to be alive. They laugh, they talk, they plan, they fight, they marry, they dream of the future, and then one day they die. But they're dead even while they're alive. This is the human condition apart from God. It is true of all people without exception. Apart from grace, we are all born dead, which is why when God wants to save someone, he first finds a dead person. Let's go to the next part, grace given. These these little words, but God. I'm going to read verses 4 to 7. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I love those two little words in verse 4, but God. Our salvation hangs entirely on those two words. We, we were dead, but God. We were enslaved, but God. We were trapped, but God. We were self-destructing, but God. We were lost in sin, but God. Well, then circle three words in verses 4 and 5. Circle those words, love and mercy and grace. Love is that in God which causes him uh, to reach out to his creatures in benevolence. Mercy is God withholding punishment and grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. I mean, think of it this way. Imagine a vast reservoir of God's love. And as it begins to flow toward us, it becomes a river of mercy. And as it cascades down upon us, the mercy becomes a torrent of grace. See, these two verses offer three words which answer the desperate state of man. It's love, mercy, and grace. Now, here's a good way to remember the difference between these words. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve, which is judgment. Grace is giving us what we do not deserve, salvation. See, the picture of a torrent of grace rushing upon us is especially apropos since grace always comes down from God to man. Grace never goes up. It, it always comes down. Grace, by definition, means that God gives us what we do not deserve and could never earn. So that leads us to our last point, grace received, and it's true faith. 
Verses two, uh, verse, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, very familiar verses to many of us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, in these two verses, we discover how grace is communicated to the human heart. It doesn't come by any good we do. It doesn't come by religion. It doesn't come by any denomination we belong to or by anything we might conceive as earning God's grace. God, grace saves us through faith, nothing more, nothing less. Now, years ago in seminary, one of my profs said, we believe that salvation is by grace plus nothing and minus nothing. And yet something in us always wants to add to God's free grace. You know, it's humbling to admit that we can do nothing to earn our deliverance from sin. But any time we add something to grace, we subtract from its meaning. Grace must be free or else it's not grace at all. Free grace? Of course. What other kind could there be? I mean, consider the three key words of verse 8. Grace saved faith. Grace is the source. Faith is the means. And salvation is the result. Or you might say that grace is the reservoir. Faith is the channel. And salvation is the stream that washes my sin away. Now, all of it is the gift of God, even the faith that lays hold of God's grace. I mean, even our faith is not of us. It, too, is part of God's gift. Martin Luther said, our situation is so hopeless that salvation must come from another place. That's why the Reformers talked about alien righteousness. That means a righteousness that comes from outside of us. We are not saved by what we do, but by what Jesus has done for us. Let me quote Luther again on faith. He said, God creates faith in the human heart the same way that he created the world. He found nothing and created something. So, friends, every part of our salvation is a work of God from first to last. We are saved by grace through faith, apart from works, apart from all of our human goodness, whatever that may be. That salvation is freely given and is received by faith alone. This view of grace is so hard for good people to accept because it means we need to give up our goodness in order to be saved. We need to admit that nothing we have done matters in the least when it comes to being forgiven by God. In the words of an old hymn, we must lay our deadly doing down. God has designed our salvation so that he alone gets the glory. I mean, think about it. What would heaven be like if you had to earn your way there? It'd be like going to one of those paper plate political dinners where people stand around bragging about how much they gave to help their um, candidate win the election. Well, I gave $5,000. Ah, so what? I gave 10000 Oh, big deal. I gave 50000 Hey, move out of the way, pipsqueak. I, I own this guy. He's got 300000 of my money. I mean, heaven would be just like that if you had to earn your way there. You know, I was chairman of the Board of Elders. I made meals for shut-ins. I gave a million dollars to world missions. I helped old ladies across the street. I made COVID-19 masks for people. As good as those things are, they'll not help forgive even one sin. They will not save you or help save you. Now, wouldn't it be horrible to spend eternity listening to people brag about what they did to earn their salvation? I mean, heaven wouldn't be heaven. Someone would put his arm around Jesus and say, you know me, Jesus, we did it. You died on the cross and I baked the cookies. Well, thank God, it's not like that. When Jesus died, he paid the full price for your salvation. It does not matter whether you bake the cookies or not. Jesus paid the price by himself. 
Entrance into heaven is limited to those who trust Jesus and him alone for their salvation. That is why God alone gets the glory in your salvation. Jesus did all the work when he died on the cross. And in the end, grace means that no one is too bad to be saved. Now, are there any terribly bad people listening to this message? Well, if there are, I got some good news for you. God specializes in saving really bad people. Do you have some things in your background that you would be ashamed to talk about in public? Don't worry. God knows all about it and his grace is greater than your sin. Grace also means that some people may be too good to be saved. That is, they may have such a high opinion of themselves that they think they do not need God's grace. They may admit they are sinners, but they don't admit they're spiritually dead. They may think they're sick because of sin, but not truly dead. See, God's grace cannot help you unless you are desperate to receive it. Which brings me to my final point. How do you find God's grace? Well, just ask for it. That's it. It's really that simple. The more you feel your need for grace, the better candidate you are. I mean, just hold out your empty hands and ask God for his grace. You're not going to be turned away. It's never too late. I mean, Scripture says, though your sins be as scarlet, God says they'll be as white as snow. That's the miracle. That's the wonder. That's the scandal. That's the shock of God's grace. It's truly out of this world, for no one in this world would have thought of something like this. So here's the good news for sinners. Free grace. Free grace. Free grace. I mean, shout it, sing it, tell it, share it. And above all else, believe it, for in believing you'll be saved. You know, when we get to heaven someday, friends, there will be no contest to see who is the most deserving of God's grace. After all, we were all dead to to start with. There will only be one contest in heaven. When we look back and see what we were before, when we see the pit from which he rescued us, when we recall how confused we were, when we remember how God reached out and dragged us up into his family and how he held us in his hand, and when we see Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us, the only contest will be to see which one of us can sing the loudest. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.